0: This is the true joy in life, the being used for a purpose you consider a mighty one. For being a force of nature, rather than a feverish, selfish clod of ailments and grievances complaining that the world will not devote itself to making you happy. George Bernard Shaw. Now entering the Phantasmagoric Oddities Emporium. Please stand by for Quantum Phase Inversion. Ah, uh, welcome back, listener. It's good, it's good It's good. to see you again. We're, we're, we're terribly sorry for all the inc- inc- inconveniences that you've had to endure. But I assure you, we are, we are working through all of the issues as quickly as we possibly can. Please step into the side-to-side and come on down to the conference room. We are currently having a board meeting. I assure you that the side-to-sides are quite safe at this point-point-point. The core of the PoE is currently running at at, at 85% efficiency. While it may seem like a large margin of error, a lot of focus on the matter phase phase, phase inverters to assure safety in transportation. I will see you in the the conference room. Initiate side-to-side transport. Origin of destination. Conference room. Yeah, we're still having problems getting the oxygen levels back down to normal. We're still sitting at about 30%. I wouldn't recommend coming in here. Well, I mean, you guys could come in here, but your bodies aren't really designed to metabolize oxygen at this level. Eventually, your lungs will start to break down. Now what can you run around in there Z without a suit? I metabolize oxygen a lot different. I absorb it through my skin, hence not having a nose. But even then, I can actually get over-toxified. I do have a bantha tank I can retire to at night, and that resets me. If you guys did want to come in here, again, you can come in for a limited time. You can use the side-to-sides. However, I would recommend using a breathing apparatus to come in here. Just be on the safe side. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. All right, well, keep us updated, Z. Hey there, listener. Good to see you. We're still trying to get everything back in order since the computer shut down. I managed to get Eddie hooked back up to the system. He's still glitching out a little bit. No offense, Eddie. But I think we got things under control, under director control, like the override that director Folks, initiated. Yeah, that was kind of weird. Now here's the thing I don't understand about that. I mean, he's lost in the uncharted realms, but yet he could still trigger the computer. I mean, wasn't he just try to find his way out using that? You know, Galen, that is a pretty good question. There's a lot of things about this place that just don't really make a whole lot of sense when you look back on. It. I'm calm.
1: I just wanna make sure that just in case he doesn't make it out of here either, that his story is at least told. Hard to pinpoint a place to start, so... I figure the atomic age might be a good start. Oh shit, that's right, he was at Roswell. Okay, that's a good start. Poe, oh, Director Override, folks, Alpha, Beta, ooh, Ah, one, two, three, four, Lambda, 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 Omega Moon.
0: Override accepted. Thank you, Director Folks. Yeah, and another thing I gotta say. It was kind of weird, listening to that. I mean, I remember being there, but it just wasn't exactly the way I remembered it. I really don't remember so much music. Yeah, you know, I was thinking the same thing myself. I mean, I always kind of hear it in the background, but I've just never really paid any attention to it. It almost seemed like they took some liberties with that story. I mean, I remember some of the bits of that, but I don't think that's exactly how it went. Yeah, you know, there were some liberties, but let me tell you, I was there, and Hank was throwing those spoons like they were fucking throwing knives. He just ran into the hall wiped right by himself. He rushed the lead set of car, grabbed him and turned him around and was using him as a shield. What is that? Is that a wooden spoon? Holy shit. He's throwing those wooden spoons that he got like they're throwing knives. All right, he just disarmed one. And I mean like he took his arm off. He's using it like a bat. Hank, hey, why don't you just pick up a, one of the guns? Shoot him like a normal person. Wouldn't work. They're genetically coded. Oy, there's a freaking bloodbath in there.
1: No, Hank, what are you doing? They're on our side. <laughs> what do you
0: mean they're on our side? Never seen nothing like it before or since. Yeah, and another thing. What was all that screeching about? What are you talking about? Like when he would be punching it. All of a sudden you hear this real, a... sound. Yeah, that was Hank. He has a bad habit of leaving the emergency brake on. Really? That's what that was? Yeah. That's probably also why he hit that wall. And then, yeah, that checks. Because once we broke atmosphere, he seemed to drive that thing just fine. So we're still at the question of, like, what happened with the Poe? Why did it crash? I really couldn't tell you. Yeah. What was that? What was what? That. That little thing between you and Pete. I heard it. I don't even know what you're talking about, Donald. Donnie, you're being paranoid. There was nothing there. The lady doth protest too much, methinks. Seriously, you're going to be all quirky about it? I've known you guys long enough. What did you do? Now look, Donnie, you got to understand. Fuck me! You too, Cecil? What the fuck is happening around here? Yeah, but you don't even know the store. Yeah, no, I know you guys well enough. Fuck. What'd you do? We needed a primitive interface. Go on. Yeah, yes. yes, do you please please go on. I'm curious myself. We tried hooking an Apple One up to the Poe. Let's we'll see. That's quite interesting. Val, you're taking this way better than I had expected. Yeah, I really kind of expected you to flip out. Oh, <laughs> trust me. I'm definitely gonna flip out. Excuse me while I step out in the hall. for Just a moment. Are you. Right, you goddamn bloody stupid fucking cunts. What the fuck were you thinking? My god. I'm using one goddamn fucking cell in their brain. We got more bloody fucking intelligence in this goddamn pencil. Right now, we need to figure out how to fix this. Eddie, you're connected to the Po right now, right? That is, that is correct. Do a full scan. See if there's any lingering programs in there. That will, will take time. The system is only running at 80, 85, 85%. All right. Go ahead and start running your scan. Tony, please, just hear me out. No, Lilith. No, not this time. We all trusted you. You had one thing you were not supposed to do. Okay, maybe not one thing, but I mean, that was like a big one. And you, Pete, how did you go along with this? She made a valid argument, and she said that she would take the rap on it. Oh, right, okay, yeah, that makes everything all right. She says, oh, don't worry about it. I got this, Pete. If anybody's going to get blamed for it, it'll be me. Never mind if there's a thermonuclear explosion that blows out the door of every fucking closet in the entire United States at the same time. There's no evidence that that would actually happen. Well, you know, actually, uh, with the way that the back ribs worked, something we kind of kicked around in the in the office, it's it's a possibility. We are taking every precaution that we can. Every precaution? Yeah. Didn't the Poe just shut the fuck down? And they thought they took every precaution with the Castle Bravo test. They thought they were only going to get five megatons out of it. They got almost sixteen. The best laid plans of mice and men. Yeah, in case you don't know... Listener, the Castle Bravo test was the first thermal nuclear bomb that the United States ever tested. March 1st,
1: 1954, the United States prepares to test their first thermal nuclear device, guaranteed to usher in a new era of peace, protecting the American way of life from the red commie bastards. Standing with me here now is some Scientist Dude. Hello some Scientist Dude, I am Ryan Brett with GTFO News. It. your name is Rye Bread? Yuck it up, pal. Last guy that made fun of my name, they didn't do oblivion. As you watched me play in his blood, while wearing his face as a mask. Don't push me. All right, then. They will. Uh, will on. not? Uh, this device, that we call the shrimp, it was created by Los Alamos National Labs, the same ones that gave us the very first atomic bomb. With this, we use a plutonium core to start the fission process. The plutonium is squeezed down into a critical mass. That's what that means.
0: They detonated out at Bikini Atoll. While they contemplated it was only going to have about 5 to 6 megaton yield, but they made a fatal mistake. It actually turned out to be 15, almost 16 megatons. But in the microseconds that fusion is taking place, that lithium actually broke down into lithium 6 and was able to begin a fusion process as well. The resulting crater was a mile wide, 250 feet deep, completely disintegrated the, the coral reef that it was sitting in. Another problem they ran into, aside from the fact that the bomb was three times stronger than they anticipated, the wind was blowing in the wrong direction. The United States government, they knew it. And unfortunately, a lot of the fallout, that irradiated reef, started falling on unknowing island inhabitants. As well as a very unlucky boat named the Five Lucky Dragon. A Japanese fishing trawler that happened to slide underneath the radar. Nobody knew it was out there. At first saw a little flash, then they heard a boom. And about 20 minutes later, they started having all this gray dust kind of fall off. Of people. They thought it was like snow or something. Fortunately, it was radioactive ash. Within a couple of hours, they all started getting sick. Made back for port Took a few days. One of the men died not too long afterwards. The rest of the men, they survived for a while, but they all had problems with cancer. That's just one example scientists, not really thinking things all the way through. Always make sure to cross the T's and dot your eyes. Yeah, you done with the lecture, Harry? Sorry, man. It was just something I knew. Figured I'd contribute a bit. Yeah, it was kind of interesting, though. I just kind of figured it was important to point out. No matter how smart some people are, some things get missed. Unintended results. That's exactly why you should have talked to us, Lilith. Don't just run off doing things. We're a team here. If anything, you should have definitely had Donnie in with you on that. Did you get any good results? Did it do anything? Yeah, no. It shut the Poe down. That's what it did. The reason I used the Apple one is because it's pretty much the basis of all computers now. Go back to the core root. I figured maybe that would help, because Director Folks was not really the best at file keeping. I mean, there were things scattered everywhere. I get that, Lilith. I really do. And I understand that you were trying to help, but you can't just go running off... Half-cocked like that. You're lucky that the only thing that happened was that the post shut down. You're lucky it you didn't end up killing all of us. I don't think it could have gone that way. What, did you just fall asleep while I was telling my 15 megaton story? Actually, yeah, I kind of did. I'm really not sure how many people are really interested in the whole fission fusion process. Oh, wow. I put my heart into that. Now, you gotta understand, listener. Paul's beef with Steve Jobs. What, you actually gonna do this right now? What? You going to tell the whole story right now? You trying to divert the whole conversation? No, not at all. I'm trying to give the listener a little bit of context. I mean, you can't just go around saying you hate somebody and not at least give them a reason why. Well, here's the thing. I don't think Paul actually really hated Steve Jobs. He was just really mad at him. I mean, he did waste a whole lot of time in college on that. But to be fair, if you want to talk about Destiny or anything like that, maybe it was meant to be. Really, you're going to be trying to talk about destiny? I'm a strong no-fate-but-what-we-make kind of guy. <clears throat> so anyway, really, you're still going to go on with the story? Come on, Donnie. Might as well just get it told now. Get it out of the way. You know what, but here's the thing. We just came off a big, long story. Tell you what, why don't we do a commercial real quick, and then we'll come back. Do we have anything ready? I don't know. R&D's always pumping out something. Let's take a look. Here at Poe Industries, we're the leaders in innovative robotic technology. Introducing the Salat, a bipedal robot to mimic human motions. Its built-in LiDAR and stereo sensors enable it real-time situational awareness. While programmed, the Salat can navigate mild complicated courses, such as going upstairs, jogging through tires, running over unstable ground, lifting weights, and even backflips. Being at a typical bipedal design, with near-accurate human motion, not only can this machine perform tasks around the office or the home, you can even have it customized to your specific size, so it may test out clothes for you. Do you want to know just how good that suit's going to look on you when you're walking down that lobby to speak to a congressman about your next weapons contract? Put it on the Salad. This way you'll know just whether or not you should button that third button on that jacket. If surveillance is your forte, try our new Sand Cricket. This innovative design uses CO2 compressed air to launch it as high as the roof of a second story building. Internal gyroscopic balancers enable smooth, steady flight when launched through the air. This allows the onboard cameras to take real-time pictures as it is moving up through the air. It's low and compact, measuring in at about 18 inches by 18 inches. This machine is easy for transport and the onboard targeting computer enables for accurate propulsion, such as jumping through a second story window definitely far cheaper to have one of these things get shot up looking into a room than say your average American soldier. At least so far. Wait, isn't that the sand flea from Boston Dynamics? I'm pretty sure they developed that for surveillance in Afghanistan. What? No, that's that's something totally else. That's, that's not this thing. But if speed is your thing, try the new Poe Leopard. Taking the designs from nature perfectly choreographing them onto robotic frames. We've managed to achieve speeds of up to 28.5 miles per hour. This machine is sleek and agile, and with its onboard AI capabilities, can maneuver and jump over obstacles at lightning speed. Why might you ask that we do this? Why not? What's the worst that could happen? Wait a minute now. I know for a fact that Boston Dynamics created a thing that was called the Cheetah that sounds just like this. Are you saying we're stealing technology? Of course not. We're not Thomas Edison or Steve Jobs or Bill Gates or Elon Musk. And the Salat? I'm telling you, that's not very creative. That's just Atlas backwards. Another Boston Dynamics robot. No, this is a completely unique robot. We've completely built it ourselves with our own technology. I don't know. Let's pull up the facts. Now it says here. (laughs) Poe Industries. Revolutionizing tomorrow, today. Poe Industries, we absolutely did not steal any technology. We just kind of you know, copied it a little bit and then twisted it a little bit and then changed the name a little bit. Yeah. Poe Industries, a subsidiary of Poe Industries. And also that wasn't a tranquilizer dart that knocked out that questioning scientist. Trust us, it'll be fine. And now, back to the show. Huh, can't see how that could go wrong. Anyway, back to the story. Do it. Now It was February 24th, 1955, that Steve Jobs was born. Now his birth parents, they were too young to raise Steve, so they gave him up for adoption, and he was adopted by Paul and Clara Jobs. In 1961, they moved to a small town called Mountain View, just south of Palo Alto. Really, you're going to go that far back? Well, I think it's good to give context, you know? I mean, kid's dad built him a workbench in the shop, passed on machining to him. Steve Jobs did happen to be in the right area at the right time. That was the birthplace of Silicon Valley, really. Yeah, I'm sorry about this, listener. Sometimes it's just best to just let him do his thing. Oh, anyway, where was I? All right, yeah, all right, here we go. Now, he was a bit of a hellion back in school. Sometimes the most brilliant minds tend to be. They get bored too easily, so what do they do? They decide to get in trouble. He did have a fourth grade teacher that kind of caught on to his act and went bribing with money to finish books. Stephen, I'll pay you $5 if you just finish this book. Now that kindled in him a passion for learning, or at least on how to make money, depending on how you look at the coin on that one. But as a result of this, he was able to skip the 5th grade and jump right into the 6th grade. But there was a little drawback. He ended up getting bullied. Oh look at me, I'm Steve Jobs. I'm a brainchild. Yeah, so you skipped the 5th grade, nerd. Welcome to school, Doogie Hauser. Look, that TV show's not even going to come out for like another 23 years. That insult makes no sense. <laughs> nice job, Sue. Try to pull culturally relevant references from the proper time periods. God, I swear I'm going to kill my pappy for giving me that name before he left. So what do his parents do? They sell their house and move to another school district to keep Steve in school, because he threatened to drop out if they didn't. I'll drop out if we don't. No one could argue. That's love on their part. The other side, I see a little bit of manipulation here. Now, when he was in eighth grade, that was when he first met Steve Wozniak. You might remember him better with Apple, but him and Steve Jobs, they go a long way back. Wozniak, he ran with the tech crowd. He liked building little computers and whatnot. But then Jobs got stoned for the first time, and then he started hanging out with the hippies. Nerds. Sorry, liberal arts folk. Anywho, he was one of those few people that could walk his own line. He didn't quite fit in all the way with the hippies, but he didn't quite fit in all the way with the techies either but he definitely had a love for computers. Right from the very first time he saw one when he was 12 years old. In fact, one time in high school, he even asked the owner of Hewlett-Packard for some parts to finish a project for school. Yeah, excuse me, sir. I was wondering, can I get some parts from you to finish a project I have for school? He was so impressed, he gave Steve Jobs a job right there. I like it, kid. Why don't you come work for me? Sure, was turn screws, but Steve was in heaven. He loved being around tech. Now, Steve's adoptive parents had sworn an oath to send Steve to college. Now, son, I know that we don't have a whole heck of a lot, but I promise you, we are going to get you a good college education. Steve, he only wanted to go one place, the most expensive liberal arts college there was, or at least one of them, Reed College in Oregon. He couldn't go somewhere local like Berkeley or, or Stanford. His parents begged him Please not go to that college. But now, son, we can't really afford that. There, there are cheaper alternatives. Please. Oh, Stephen, please. We can't really afford it. Can't you just go to Berkeley, along with your friend Waz? He's a nice boy. I like him. They couldn't really afford it, but he said it was there or nowhere else. No, Mom and Dad. God, I have to follow my own way. My hey, all those guys know what they want to do. I don't know what I want to do, man. It's either there or nowhere else. So they relented. And yeah, he lasted for a couple of semesters. He'd eat with the Hare Krishnas like once a week. He'd recycle bottles and cans to pay for food. He'd sleep on the floor of friends' houses. But ultimately, he bailed. But that's not to say that it was a total waste. Because there was one thing that really came away with that. While going to Reed, he did take a calligraphy class. That gave him a love for typography. Spacing the elegance of how letters should look. And here's the thing about Steve Jobs: he was an artist. He did love to see flow. He did love to see something look beautiful. Now he did travel to India for a tick, stayed there for about seven months, exploring the spirituality. And he was supposed to have come back with more enlightened mind. He'd say that the Indian people are much more evolved. They rely more on their intuition rather than intellect. So he tried to live through a zen lifestyle while living in a shed that he converted in the back of his mom and dad's house, lit with a candle and a, and a little cot. Which goes to show you, no matter how low you might feel like you are, you can still keep climbing. Now, right after this trip, he was working for Atari, and Atari approached him, probably with a few other engineers, with a task to reduce the chipset on a brand new game called Breakout. Now Jobs, he wasn't really that much of an engineer when it came to figuring out circuit boards, but he had a good friend named Steve Wozniak. Now Steve, he was able to reduce the chip set from 96 to to 46, and the design was so compact, it couldn't actually be mass produced. And as a reward, Atari paid Jobs $100 per chip that was removed. So now if you're keeping score, that's $5,000. So, Steve Jobs, what well, does he do? He tells Woz, hey, we got $700 for that. I'll split it in half with you, and Woz got $350. Now, this wasn't the first time Jobs was able to make money off of Wozniak. When they were younger, Woz had created this little blue box that could emit these tones that would allow them to get long-distance phone calls. Well, of the know Beachside.
1: Uh, we're we're trying to find our friend. We have a, uh, we have a bachelor party. Um, his name's Mike. Um, Mike Hunt. Can you, can you holler for him, please?
0: Yeah, uh, hey guys, you already tried that a couple of times. You know, frankly, I'm getting a little tired of it. I'm gonna find you. I have a special set of skills. As you fade into oblivion, last thing you're going to see is me playing in your blood Well, I wear your face as a mask. I'm sorry, wrong number. So they were able to make all these long-distance phone calls for free. Jobs had the idea that they could sell it to folks. And the only reason they even stopped was because the cops were starting to get close. But they did end up making $6,000 on it. And incidentally, the reason that Jobs was able to get the job at Atari was because Wozniak had made his own little circuit board for the game pong. Jobs went and took that motherboard to Atari, showed it off to the bigwigs, and they thought he built it, so they gave him a job. This is stellar work, young man. Normally I wouldn't hire somebody of your caliber. You look very disheveled, you're greasy, and you have a bit of a bad attitude. However, this work is very good. Welcome aboard. Now it wasn't until years later that Was found out that Steve was paid that $5,000 for that chipset that he did. That definitely made him cry. That was his friend. They grew up together. Now, two Steves, they attended a computer hobbyist group called Homebrew or something. I don't remember. And That's where Wozniak saw his first Altair computer. It inspired him to make his own. Now, he wasn't looking to change the world. He just wanted to show off what he could do with his little resources as he had. He showed this off to Steve. Jobs, that is. Boy, it's a little confusing having two Steve's in this. Hey, Steve, how's it going, man? Well, Steve, let me tell you. So anyway, Wozniak, now he goes and shows us the jobs. Jobs looks at this and he's like, oh, yeah, we could definitely sell this. Oh, yeah, we could definitely sell this. And you know what, Woz? I have the perfect name for it. I got the idea from living up in an orchard up in Oregon. We'll call it the apple. Alright. So Jobs, he had a connection at this place called the Byte Store. You know, B Y T E is in computer byte. Now he had a contract with the owner, Paul Terrell, to make 50 computers fully assembled. And Paul, he'd pay the boys $500 a piece for them. When Jobs completed the job, the owner was quite surprised. He had asked for fully assembled computers, and in fact, all he ended up getting were the motherboards. That's just bad business, boys. But being the wheeler and dealer that he was, Jobs still got paid for it, in full. Now with this new idea in hand, he and Wozniak set out to start building the Apple II. Now people were hesitant to loan them money, especially Jobs. Most people just thought he was like this greasy hippie guy who just had kind of a bad attitude. But on top of that, the idea of a computer for everyday people was just beyond the understanding of a lot of lenders. Yeah, see, the idea is that what we want to do is we want to provide a computer that can be in every household. Just imagine it. Everybody could do all their business at home. Yeah, I really don't see that being a real thing. Nobody's going to want to spend that kind of money. Besides, it's going to be like that exercise bike I bought last year, just collecting dust. It's possible there will eventually be porn on it. Well, since you put it that way, sign right here. But they did anyway. Through a fellow named Mike Rockalott. Now, he became the third employee of Apple at the time, with a substantial investment. You know, also at this time, his on-again, off-again girlfriend, Chrisanne Brennan, had returned from her own trip to India, and they rekindled their relationship. Really? You're gonna go through the whole history of Steve Jobs? I thought we are gonna go on why Paul doesn't want his shit in here. I'm getting to it. You know, it's, it's, it's not just the story, you know, it's kind of the journey. You gotta go through the whole thing, get the full context. Yeah, no, I'll get that. But here's the thing, the director, he didn't know shit about Steve Jobs. He started on, like, the Mac 2, the second generation of Macs, after he left Apple, and then came back. So I don't see how much of this is actually relevant. That commercial where they would, like, Macs never crash? Paul proved that wrong on multiple occasions. And that's where he learned the acronym S.O.S. Save often, stupid. Yeah, right. Okay, how much further you gotta go? I don't know. It's just a little bit further. I mean, I'm figuring we're probably about, what, 77 right now? Oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, 2010 will get here pretty quick. Just hold on. I'll try to paraphrase. All right, now, where was I? Oh, yeah. 1977. So, in 77, Concord took its first supersonic flight. David Vetter of Houston, Texas, better known as the Boy in the Bubble, was able to walk outside of this bubble in a NASA-developed suit. The germ-free suit was called the Mobile Isolator System. It was developed by both NASA and Children's Hospital. That little fella, he was born with severe combined immune deficiencies. This allowed the boy to be able to walk outside until he passed away at the age of 12. It was also the year that we lost Elvis Presley. Held the King, baby. We're I really think of getting off topic. We were talking about Steve Jobs. Yeah, I'm getting there, I'm getting there. Just hold on, I got one more thing. It was also the year that Star Wars came out. I picked the wrong file. Hold on. Here. Here we go. Alright. No, scroll down. Scroll down. You're scrolling up. No, here we go. Here. Cecil, that's the love boat. I, sorry, it, it gets a little confusing. How's it confusing? It's in alphabetical order. No, hold on. I can I can do it. Hold on. Here. Yeah, there we go. All right. Cecil, seriously, I appreciate the help, but you're just making more work for me. I know, I just thought I could help with the workflow. Yeah, I know, I know. But just stick that in, all right? Just get back to it, or we're, all, we're all fine. So anyway, Christina Brennan, she come back to Steve, and they rekindled their relationship for a while. Now at this time, Jobs' team at Apple, they were developing the Apple II. This was going to be a totally encased computer, kind of like the one that Tara wanted in the first place, but, you know, looks like Steve learned his lesson on that. This increased his position at Apple over time, and it caused him to grow more distant. Well, just as she was about ready to break it off with him, she discovered that she was pregnant. She had the news from him for a couple of days. She said that when she told him, his face turned ugly. He said that she should never give it up for adoption because she'll regret it. But he also said that he was never, ever gonna help her with it. He even went so far as to start spreading rumors that she was sleeping around while she was helping work at the company. He told everybody that it couldn't be his kid. He was infertile. But later on, fraternity tests proved that to be false. At insult to injury? When the baby was born, he helped pick out a name, Lisa. Incidentally, he also used that same name on one of his computer lines. Anna was not happy about that. She said he never even talked to her about it. Well, unfortunately, that Lisa line, it didn't really land too well with the point. This sucks! Sales were terrible, so they shot for an Apple III. Now, Steve wanted this one to be nice and quiet, So he didn't want any fans. He wanted it specially designed so that the circuits would dissipate the heat themselves. Just imagine it, a completely quiet machine. You won't even know it's on. Well, that didn't work out so well. It got to a point that a lot of circuit boards would heat up and then start separating. A common remedy for that, when people would call into Apple for customer support, would be to pick up the unit six inches off the table and then drop it. That would actually reset everything back to where it needed to be. I believe that's called percussive maintenance. PC load letter? What the fuck does that mean? Well, damage was done. Apple's reputation was on the line now. IBM had come into the market in 1981. Yeah, they were behind Apple at first. They only had one product, and Apple laughed at them for it. Bill Gates actually happened to be at Apple headquarters when IBM announced their computers. And he said that most of the folks at Apple just blew it off. They had no idea what was coming. Welcome, IBM. Seriously. (laughs) With the failure of the three and of the Lisa, Steve Jobs eventually backed down, but not necessarily willingly. While he was a co-founder of Apple, a lot of the higher-ups in Apple kind of figured that he was more of a detriment to the company than an asset anymore. Now, Apple's board members, they wanted somebody to help bring in Steve. See, he had a bit of a hot temper. He had no problems burning bridges. Now, to bring in a supervisor, they allowed Steve to have the final sign-off. Now, after going through about 20 different folks, he ended up finishing on John Scully. Now, John Scully, he was the head advertiser for Pepsi, and he came up with the Pepsi Challenge, which ended up kicking off the so-called Cola Wars. You're in the Cola Wars, though. The two largest factions here are Pepsi Coalition and the Coca-Cola Alliance. I'm aligned with a smaller faction, the Royal Mounted Cola. On this level, they seem to be the most accepting of all the Colas. Don't mind their beady eyes, their flappy heads, and their hockey sticks. They use those things with the deadly precision of a samurai warrior. Incoming. It started out all right at first, but they started butting heads before too long. Now, while the guy was brilliant, he was known to be an asshole to work for. If you did the slightest thing that he didn't like, he had no problems burning your bridge. Uh Sir, we're going to need about another week to do this. Oh, we're really close. We're really, really close. Oh, I see. You need another week. You're fucking fired! Now, I'll bring up Gates. Because him and Jobs had been working on software together for the Lisa. Honestly, when Bill saw the Lisa, he wasn't really too impressed with it, but he figured he'd help a guy out. But here's the funny little thing about that. Is that when Bill got into the Lisa, he saw that Jobs had beaten to the punch on something. Oh my, it's all gooey in here. The gooey interface. The graphical user interface. thing that we're all used to now. All these windows that give us drop-down menus. What do you think I meant, you silly goose? Prior to that, everything was text-based. But here's the real thing that Steve Jobs beat Bill Gates to the punch on. Bill didn't steal it from Jobs. Jobs stole it from Xerox. Now, you gotta understand, Xerox throughout the 1960s was a powerhouse. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on a second. Are we doing a flashback here? Well, yeah, it's all about context. Oh, for crying out loud. Hey, Galen. Galen, wake up. Give me that scotch. Oh, yeah, sure. Here you go, my friend. Is you still going on? Yeah, he is. Where are we at now? I think we have a flashback. That can't be said. All right. Well, wake me up when we get done. All right, come on, please. Just, all right, I'll get it done and over with. Seriously, Donnie? This will go a lot faster if you quit interrupting. Anyway. Now, there was a printer company named Xerox, based out of New York. And they ended up funding a facility in Palo Alto, California. They were called the Palo Alto Research Center, or PARC for short. Now, they were given free reign in 1970 to come up with ideas on how to really innovate the world. All right, I want you guys to feel free to express yourselves. No question is too dumb. No idea is not worth at least looking at. Come up with the craziest ideas you can possibly think of. Let's see how we could possibly make more. Yeah, man. You know what I think would be really far out? Is if you could, like, set up your file on one machine for printing and then hook it up to, like, ten others so that way you only have to set it up on one and then have, like, ten others print them for you, you know? You could really speed stuff up really fast that way, man. You know, Ward, that sounds like a great idea. Why don't you get on top of that? Anybody else got any ideas? Now, just think outside the box. What do you got? With a small amount of kyber crystals, I was able to grow in my lab. I would like to get a little plutonium to use as a power source for my death. I mean, happy ray. No, Jimmy, we're not going to make a death ray, all right? I'm sorry to shoot you down every time you bring it up, but we want to innovate the world, not destroy it. Now by 1973, they had developed the idea of Ethernet. This allowed them to connect up to 100 copiers into one network. Secondly, they'd come up with the idea for email. To instantly electronically mail each person within that network. Hey Frank, how's it going man? Look at this funny email I got. Well Bob, let me tell you, that's not a funny email. That's a memo about the new TPS cover sheets. The third and the most important part was the graphical user interface. Now, they had originally come up with it because a lot of their patents for their imaging equipment had expired and the Japanese were catching up quick, thus the funding of the park. However, the bigwigs over in New York, they actually couldn't see how revolutionary these innovations were. All I wanted to do was try to improve their printers. Now with this controller here, you can move around this little cursor on the monitor. And by clicking this little button right here, you can actually pick up that image, pull it over into this bracket, be able to set up an image inside that bracket. And then you can insert your text here. And once you have that set up, you can send that to a hundred printers if you want. Now look. I understand that you guys love playing with your crayons out there on the West Coast, but over here, we are about making money. We already have product lines, well established. We need to improve the imaging. This little pipe dream of yours looks like a child's large puzzle. And this little contraption of yours that you built, that was $10,000 in parts. We'd have to turn around and sell it for $40,000 to even make a profit. Well, yeah, but man, no, check it out. You know, it was 10000 just to, you know, create the parts for it, but now we can reduce it, kind of like they did with the atom bomb. Yeah, it cost a lot of money to get the Manhattan Project going, but once they had everything in place, they could just knock those suckers out. Are you saying this little contraption for us is going to change the world like the atom bomb? This goofy little move images around by a silly little mouse-looking thing? Stop wasting my time. Now, the revolutionary new system in question here is called the Alto. It was built in 1973, and it truly was the first personal computer. Although, you can't really say that, because it was worth $10,000 at the time. That and Xerox never saw any reason to actually market it. It was incredibly revolutionary in its interface. Rather than the standard text base, it used graphics, drop-down menus, Now here's why there's a big beef between Jobs and Gates. It all boiled down to that graphical user interface. Now contrary to popular belief, Jobs didn't actually bully his way in there to see their software. Three or four of his own employees kept telling him he needed to go over there and take a look at that machine. At this time, he was focused on the Apple II and trying to produce the Lisa line. When he finally did go over there, he was really blown away at the user interface. Oh wow. Oh wow. Oh wow. He said that it definitely was clunky, but they were definitely on to something. Parr actually invited people to come see their stuff. Over 2,000 people had actually seen those. But in 1975, he had built 2,000 of them. And in their display, they had 100 of them networked together. Now, while Xerox execs didn't actually grasp it, after a couple of years of looking at it, Jobs' team recognized it right away. They knew its potential. How do not even their feeble little minds not grasp the true raw potential of this? This is the greatest human achievement since splitting the atom within just a couple hours. Now, at the same time, While people are starting to bail from Palo Alto, they feel like all their ideas are going to the wayside, they jump onto other tech companies, including Microsoft. So with a handful of former Palo Alto employees, Gates was well aware of the GUI software. Who didn't know about the GUI? I mean, it was out there for everybody to see anyway. And Jobs, he knew this too. So the whole big surprise wasn't actually a surprise. The reason Jobs was bringing Bill in to be the first third-party software developer was because he knew that. I just want you to know that I know, that you know, 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 that I know, that you know. You know? Now, the contract the Gates signed stated that he could not release any mouse-based software till a year after the Mac's release. Now, the Mac was supposed to be released in 1982, but Apple's lawyers did not take into account Project Delays, which pushed the release to 1984. But at a computer convention in 1983, Bill Gates announced his brand new software that he called Windows, and a mouse-based word processing software that he called Microsoft Word. Now, of course, this really pissed Jobs off, and he even tried suing Gates, but the courts did find in Gates' his favor. It's always in the fine print. When Jobs tried to call out Gates publicly, Gates made the famous quote, I think it's more like we had this rich neighbor named Xerox, and I broke into his house to steal his TV set, and then I found out you had already stolen it. Now you gotta understand, Parr was more about trying to innovate the world. They weren't trying to be about sole proprietorship. And besides, Xerox wasn't doing shit with it anyway. The real difference that happened here, though, is that Bill made his platform open source, meaning anybody could write programs for it. That made it incredibly versatile. It could go onto any machine, and they could talk to each other. Jobs, he wanted sole control. He wanted all the programming to be in-house. He wanted all the building to be in-house. He didn't want people to be able to change anything about it. He wanted it to go out the way that he wanted it. As a matter of fact, he even needed a special screwdriver to open up the sucker. Now, in 1984... Apple released the Mac. While often credited as Steve's brainchild, it was actually designed by a fella named Raskin who wanted to make a cheap, small computer that everybody could have. But a year before shipping, Raskin resigned while Jobs and his team revamped the Mac into what we know now. While Jobs wanted to originally sell the Mac for a little cheaper than it was, Scully insisted that the price needs to go up, and that's when the real war happened. Jobs wanted to release the Mac for $2,000. Scully wanted to release it for $2,500. This actually kind of hurt the sales. Rather than trying to bring down the price on the Mac, Scully insisted on keeping the price where it was and trying to focus resources onto the Apple II, an already established platform. At every turn, Jobs was having doors slammed in his face. He no longer had control. With that, he resigned, and he started Next Computer in 1986. Now, they were pretty robust machines. He was targeting mostly the tech community and educational sectors such as, like, you know, top-end colleges. And he did all right, but he was asking quite a bit for his machines. Another side hustle he got involved with was the visual effects department at Lucas Films. He invested a substantial amount of money into their computer graphics division. And the child that spun out from that we all know as Pixar. Now, while this was happening, Clara Jobs... Steve's adoptive mother. She was diagnosed with lung cancer. Steve spent a lot of time with her. Got to know more about her background. About more who she was. Because how many of us have ever really done that with our parents? When was the last time you actually sat down with your mom or your dad and talked about when they were kids? Yeah, you probably heard the stories while you were growing up. But right now, you might have the mental capacity to really grasp their story. Don't wait till they're on their deathbed. Sorry, that's my little sad step right there. Anyway... While he was finding out more details of Clara's past, he got to know more about his adoption and how that all went down. After Clara passed, Jobs looked up his biological parents. He was able to find his biological mother, Joanne Scheibel. Scheibel? I don't know, I probably should have looked that up, but we ain't got time to do that now. He found out that she was an unmarried graduate student out of Wisconsin. During his first visit, he found out that he had a sister named Mona. Steve was able to connect with Mona, And they developed a strong relationship. At first, she was a little skeptical. She had no idea who he was or what exactly he wanted. But over time, they grew to love each other. And it was Mona that helped him bridge the gap between him and his daughter. Now, Jobs, he apologized to Chris Ann Brennan for how horrible he was. Leaving Apple was the best thing for him. He had to start over, get his head right. In his absence, Apple floundered quite a bit. Talks began about him possibly coming back. As an administrative advisor, over time, Jobs was able to work his way back into the company. Full force. And over time, he was able to help turn that company back around. On well, his first day back, he brought all the developers into the main auditorium. And he was in nothing but shorts, t-shirt, and tennis shoes. And he asked the crowd, what's wrong? What's wrong with this place? Well, a bunch of people murmured for a while. He finished up with, it's because the product sucks. There's no sex in it anymore. At the 97 Apple Expo, Jobs announced a commitment from Microsoft to provide a version of Microsoft Office that could run on Macs. He knew there was no way they could create software fast enough to compete with Microsoft at this point. Most people around the country were already using Word, and it only made sense to provide a familiar program that everybody was already using. Plus $150 million that got piped into the company itself. Gates ended up buying some non-voting shares. Now this, this is what really saved Apple. And also in its own regards saved Gates. Because Gates was already starting to look down the barrel of a Monopoly gun. But that's a whole story for another time. But even with this commitment, when a picture of Gates was shown up on the big screen, people booed him. Now it's not for me to say neither here nor there that Gates is a good guy. I mean, he definitely has his skeletons for sure. But for crying out loud, dude's trying to help save your company. Even if he is trying to keep the heat off his own back, too. But again, story for another time. Ugh. Oh, are you done yet? Just about. About ready to unveil the Mac. And then I was gonna talk about Flash and how it didn't work on iPhones and stuff. Well, didn't you just now? No, that's more like kinda of like a teaser, really. Think about it. You got to have the whole story. Oh man, yeah. When I came into work today, this was the last thing I expected. Even less expected than the apple being hooked up to the PO? No, that was definitely far more unexpected. Cecil, we're gonna need to talk about you and how long your stories are. You know, I'll be perfectly honest with you, Donnie. When I started this, this was the last thing I expected. I really, kind of thought this was gonna be a short story. Crushed one man's dreams of working in the web and stuff, but, uh, no, this this definitely turned out to be way more than I expected. Alright, then, just, come on, hurry it up. I don't know, I kind of find it interesting. It's probably because it's taking the heat off of you right now, Pete. That's not true, actually. I'm finding strange parallels. No, don't even begin to say that the director's anything like jobs. They need to have something absolutely perfect. Definitely sounds pretty simple. Now, with the release of the Mac, you had an all-in-one machine, and it was beautiful. It had that translucent cover over the back of it, and all you needed was to pull out the thing and plug it in, and boom, you're off and going. And it was really great for working on graphic design and whatnot. When the director went back to school, that was what he learned on it. He had played around a bit with some PCs, because he knew some guys, and he was shown how to build things, but other than gaming, he didn't really know what to do with them. One day, he just kind of walked into a Mac lab, a fella showed him how to make a poster. Right then and there, he fell in love with the Mac, and he fell in love with Photoshop. Now, there was this program that was really cool, and it was called Flash. With it, you could build objects, and you could action script it. You could make little animations. You could build whole websites with it. A huge chunk of the websites at the time had little mini Flash animations inside them. So the director got into figuring out how to make vector art. That's basically graphics that work off of mathematical curves, rather than individual blocks of color, that make up rastered art. Again, more technical stuff, I can tell you another time. Right as the director was getting ready to graduate, the iPhone came out. Now there was a lot of hope for the iPhone. Even the director was excited to try to get one. But he couldn't afford it at the time. I mean, he was astute, living out of his car. Well, I wasn't living out of his car at that time. He was still a student, even poor shit. But anyway, along with the iPhone, came some real bad news. turned out that the iPhone browser was not going to support Flash plugins. This meant a good chunk of websites were no longer working anymore. People that spent all their time focused on Flash now were out of jobs. Not necessarily completely out of jobs, but when a huge chunk of the market drops what you're doing, nobody's going to want your stuff. His argument was that Flash was open source, so anybody could hack through it. When in fact, it was actually the opposite. It was actually closed source. Once you had the player built, there's no getting in it. Trust me on that. And the ironic thing is, is that Jobs was all about closed source. That's why almost nothing that wasn't built by Apple was supported on Apple platforms. He wanted exclusive rights, which is also why you can't actually upgrade a Mac once you get it create a product that only you can fix. Now, the director's real beef- Oh, thank God, we're finally here. Want me to finish or not? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, definitely finish. All right. So the director's real beef with Steve Jobs was the fact that he had switched his major from, from Anthropology over to Multimedia Design. And he did have a couple of jobs lined up, but his area of focus was on Flash. He was stretched thin as it was, going back and learning a whole new program language just something he couldn't afford to do at the time but i suppose that if he was really that passionate about doing web stuff he would have found a way the director's real beef is that this guy wiped out not just his college education but so many others the director he put all of his eggs in that one basket but you know what he's still alive not like it killed him and who knows what he would have been doing i'm sure he's having fun doing this and not possibly flying around in a jet working for bmw fixing javascript problems But you can't deny that the guy actually brought revolutionary things to the table. Sure, the iPhone crushed a few people's jobs, but look how it changed the rest of the world. All smartphones are designed off of that. Before that, everything was clunky and had buttons on it. He really pushed hard to have a glass face on the iPhone versus a plastic one, because he knew that this thing going in and out of the pocket is gonna be rubbing up against keys and stuff. Now, the designers repeatedly tried to tell him It'll make the phone a lot more fragile. It would be better to have a plastic face on it. But then Steve made an excellent argument. He argued that if the phone gets all scratched up from normal wear and tear, that's on Apple. They didn't make a good enough product. If the person drops the phone and it shatters, well, that's on them. They were in control. of it. Once the argument was put that way, the designers understood, which explains why a lot of the earlier iPhones, they sometimes just shattered looking at but you gotta hand it to the guy for innovation. They improved. Back in the days of blackberries, everything had buttons all over And granted, yeah, phones, they could do a lot of fancy stuff, but it got a little daunting with all those extra buttons. Steve really revolutionized the user experience, and that was the way he always tried to work. He literally had the user in mind, at least for their their experience, for how they consumed the machine. Cloud technology, that's one of his brainchilds. The first rollout didn't work so good. But the iCloud, believe that's what it's called, was an astounding success. It enabled you to quickly move your files from your desktop to your iPhone or over to your iPad, which was released in 2009. Two years later, Steve Jobs will pass away. In 2003, he was diagnosed with a pancreatic neuroendocrine tumor. At first, he tried to fight it off with holistic medicine. Now, while most pancreatic cancers are are non-operable, this one just so happened to be operable. His doctors continuously encouraged him to get the operation. Steve, he just didn't want people cutting into him. Steve Jobs passed away in his home in 2011, surrounded by his wife, his kids, and his sister. His last words were, Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. We're on now. Are you done? Hold your horses. Almost. Gotta wrap it up. Now, here's the thing. If you don't look at Steve Jobs in the personal level, the man was a revolutionary. He knew how to get things done. And he had a vision. Granted, it didn't work all the time, but he drove hard on things. And he made things happen. We wouldn't have the smartphones that we got today if he hadn't pushed that through. Change is hard. There'll be casualties one way or another that's just the price of progress. When the sewing machine was invented, lots of tailors were appalled. They were taken out of a lot of their jobs. But here's the thing, but now people can get clothes more than once a year. Yeah, sometimes innovation does cause casualties, but if it don't kill you, you can always adapt or hold a pointless grudge. Well, to be fair, it's not an entirely pointless grudge. The director's still a fan of being able to build his own machines and being able to upgrade them whenever he likes. We won't go into the difference of price and performance, but... There is a fluid functionality to having Apple products. Can't deny that. Really depends on what your lifestyle is. God damn. That was a lot of information there, Cecil. Yeah, I know. I really did not expect to be doing that much on this one. That was supposed to be a short one. Well, you did take on Steve Jobs. I mean, he's a pretty robust puss. You should have thought about it. Yeah, I know, I know. But do you have any Christmas? I really... I really thought that was going to be shorter. Yeah, well, in the future, let's maybe not tackle something so robust. At least with the limited time that we have available. Yeah, you know, I went through a bit of writer's block just before doing this one. I thought it'd be quick and easy. But you know what? By now, I should know that that's never the case. Yeah, again, listener, I'm really sorry about that. I promise you. It ain't going to be like this in the future. At least I don't think so. All right. We've been here way too long. So tell you what. We'll deal with the rest of the Poe crashing next time. Yeah, so again, listener, thank you for checking out this weird little experiment of ours. And if you don't hate this too much, share it with your friends. Until we see you again, make sure to check out Scatcast and David Mingus's Macabre Emporium. And check out Joe and Brian over at Can You Don't. And also don't forget that Logan and Kate Keith have the Broken Youth Club. They tackle some seriously heavy subjects once in a while. Definitely check them out. All right, so... Anyway, done rambling, I'm tired, I need a nap. Until next time. These loving food stamps. take care. Now exiting the phantasmagoric Oddities Emporium. Have a nice day.